This morning our focus will be on verse 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, 22. Just one verse. So I direct your attention there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 22. Hear the word of the Lord very simply. Abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. Would you bow with me in prayer? Gracious Lord, help us to put this command into action. We know these, these days are evil. We know, O oh Lord, that because of the fall, evil surrounds us and is even within us. That's why, Lord, we ask for your help. We ask you to make our hearts sensitive to that which is wrong, make our hearts hunger for that which is good. Turn our hearts towards you, O oh Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom that we might walk in ways that are pleasing to you. That we would love justice, show mercy, and walk humbly before you these days. Jesus is the light of the world. and We want that light to shine in our lives, in our community, and the world around us. So grant this, Father, to your glory we pray. Amen. Now, I recognize that the brevity of this verse makes it very clear. In many ways, there's not much I could add, abstain from every form of evil, but I'm not going to let you off that easy uh, this morning. I want us to think about what this means. Why are we commanded to do this? And how do we do it? Now understand that in the context, it flows from what Paul has been teaching about prophecy. Remember, he said, don't despise prophecy, but instead test everything. In other words, be discerning in what you hear. And then in verse 21, he says, test everything, hold fast to what is good. So in the immediate context, he's saying, when you hear that which is good and true and admirable, cling to it. Hold fast to it. But then Paul springs board off that idea of holding fast to what is good, and he expands this command. So hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So he goes a little bit further than just dealing with prophecies and teachings that we hear when he says abstain from evil. Now he expands it to all of life. This isn't the first time that Paul has uttered this command, nor is it the first time it's found in the Scripture. So, for example, in the book of 1 Peter 2, 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that's us, we're pilgrims, we're traveling through, like the old hymn says, this world is not our home. So as we travel through, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. That is those sinful desires that wage war against our souls. The march of the pilgrim is to that cadence that says abstain from evil. Romans 12, 9, Paul really echoes what he wrote earlier in 1 Thessalonians. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. That means hate, despise that which is evil. Next command. Hold fast to what is good. 
In other words, you want to let go of that which is evil and hold fast to that which is good. I could give you a whole host of examples from the Old Testament that illustrate this very point, but I give you one from the man named Job. Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. And look how he is described. One who feared God and what? Turned away from evil. Abstain from evil. Now, in many ways, when I read this command, I think, do we really have to be told to stay away from evil? In many ways, that would be self-evident. Evil is recognized as that which is bad, but the reality is that we do have to be told to stay away from evil. I reckon it to this. You don't have to tell me to stay away from a rattlesnake. Yet there are those who are drawn to rattlesnakes. I'll give you two examples. In 2017, in Coolidge, Arizona, Victor Pratt was having a barbecue to celebrate his daughter's birthday when a rattlesnake wandered into the backyard. Victor decided that he was going to show off for his guest and not only catching the rattler, but also showing them how to kill a rattler, strip it, and then cook it and eat it. In the process, as he was holding the snake and showing off to his friends, he was bitten not once but twice, once on the chest and once on the cheek. But I give you an even more cringeworthy example. In 2017, I don't know what it was about 2017, Jacksonville, Florida, a man by the name of Charles Goff catches a rattlesnake in his backyard, places it in a bucket, puts it in his garage. <laughs> exactly. The next day, he's showing it off to his neighbor, Ron Reinhold. Now, I do not know if alcohol was involved in this. But Ron decided that he was going to show off not only his boldness in grabbing the rattlesnake, but holding it so tightly he was going to kiss it on the back of the head. Ron was bitten on the tongue. I don't want to know what type of kiss he was trying to give. Why? And then I think about evil. And I ask myself, why do I do some of the things that I do? The command to abstain from evil is that because, like these two gentlemen, we often do things, if I may be so bold, that are just not smart. So we need to be warned to abstain from evil because we gravitate to it for many reasons. We gravitate toward evil because often it could be that we believe the lies. See, we know evil's wrong. I mean, let's just get that out here at the, fore, fore, the beginning of this, this message. But remember, our enemy is a master liar. He's a master of deceit. So what he does is he wants to convince us that that evil act, well, it's not that bad. And, and others may be burned by it, but not you. Okay, you're the exception. We're the exceptions to that evil act. But you know what? It never works out well. I'll give you an example from the Scripture, a warning. Proverbs, of course, is full of wisdom. The beginning chapters deal with the wisdom of staying away from adultery, staying away from that enticement to, to sin with sexual immorality. And this is asked in Proverbs 6.27, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Do you think you can get away with hold, clutching that fire and think you won't end up smelling like smoke? And of course the answer is no. We don't get away with it. 
So sometimes we believe the lie. We think we're the exception. But there's another thing. Sometimes, quite frankly, evil becomes habit. And we justify habits. We accept them as right. Just the way that I am. Yeah, I know having a a bad mouth is wrong. I know maybe exploding in anger is wrong, but that's just the way that I am. So we justify those habits. Thomas Paine in his pamphlet Common Sense said, a long habit of not thinking a thing wrong gives it a superficial appearance of being right. Over time, we begin to accept something and saying that it's okay, it's habit, it's all right. Time makes more converts than reason. After a while, we accept something as just the way it is. I use the example of language. Paul said, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. But how often do we justify our language by saying, well, that's just the way I talk. There's nothing wrong with that. Habit that we justify because we're comfortable with it. Another reason I think we become comfortable with evil is we become desensitized to it. Desensitized means that we no longer feel the weight of it. We we accept it. It no longer shocks us. That happens over time. One thing that shocks one generation is accepted as normal by the next. And certainly with evil, the lines become to get blurred where it becomes this object of really morbid fascination. An example is an event that happened 52 years ago in the summer of 1969. Charles Manson and his followers committed horrific acts of, of murder killing nine people. It's amazing how that sinful act has become an obsession in our culture. Do you realize over 50 books have been written about that? Helter Skelter is the best-selling true crime book of all time, having sold over 7 million copies. There has been an opera made called The Manson Family. 11 feature films, documentaries, and TV series focus on him. And in fact, according to Esquire magazine, you can purchase a comic book about the Manson family as well as coffee mugs, t-shirts. You can even download Charles Manson's singing on your cell phone. Why? We become desensitized. We hear it so often it no longer shocks us and so we begin to accept it. We become fascinated and no longer bothered by evil, not just on a large scale culturally, but even in our lives. That's the reason God gives us this command to abstain from it. We need to be reminded. Now, evil is that which is morally objectionable as defined by God. Evil is that which is morally objectionable as defined by God. That means that evil is not just in the eyes of the beholder. In our culture that is seeped in relativism, we tend to think, well, it may be wrong for you, may be okay for me, and we go with this idea of, well, it's somewhere in the middle. But evil exists. There are actions and attitudes that are just wrong. Many ways, the events of 9-11 in 2001 signaled the end of relativism. Many philosophers said on that day postmodernism died because it was an act that in America we could not in any way say was good. It was clearly wrong. Maybe a simpler way to define evil is this, the definition of sin. It's that which falls short of God's plan. The word sin in Romans, for example, when it says the wages of sin is death, that word sin is an archery term that means to miss the target. What is sin? It is missing the target of what God desires. You may miss it by half an inch or a foot, but you've missed it. 
Augustine, the great church father, said, evil is the corruption of the perfection of something good. He starts with what is good and he says evil is the corruption of that, the, the misuse of what God intended for good. And notice in verse 22, Paul says abstain from what? Every form of evil. That means that evil comes in a variety of shapes and sizes. There are things that we clearly recognize as evil, but then there are other forms that maybe are camouflaged to us that we ignore. Example would be this. We recognize that pornography in all of its forms is wrong. Wrong. We would say that it's wrong and to be avoided. Yet, how often do we justify taking a second glance at someone in order to entertain thoughts of lust, which is equally as wrong? Same evil, different forms. One clearly wrong, the other that we justify. We know that murder is wrong. It's the taking of a life. Yet, Jesus said, if we hold on to anger and hatred, we've committed murder. So we justify holding on to anger? Often we do. Evil comes in a variety of shapes and sizes, yet the end of all evil is death and destruction. That's why God says abstain from it. Keep away. Abstain means to put distance between you and evil. Get away. To use the rattlesnake example again, get as far from that snake or any snake as you can. That's the idea of abstaining. The reasons we are to abstain are clear. As I said a moment ago, evil is always, always destructive. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. A way that seems right to us. You see, evil in some ways seems to be, be, uh, be reasonable to us. But the scripture says it always ends in death. Proverbs eleven nineteen: 19. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live. But he who pursues evil will die. I think this refers to the physical realm. I'm sure each of us could give examples of men or women who lived lives pursuing evil only to die because of that pursuit. But I also think it refers to the spiritual and emotional. Those who pursue evil are hardened by it. They become a shell of what God intended for, for life to be like. Their souls hardened by the scourge of evil. The consequences of evil are never good. It has been said like this. Evil will always, always take you further than you wanted to go. It's just part of the life. You can control it. You can stop it. But evil always takes you further than you wanted to go. And it will always cost you more than you want to pay. Think how many people say, I never meant for this to happen. I never meant for this person to be hurt by this action. But evil always costs us more than we want to pay. So we should abstain from it because we want life. God gave us this desire for a life to truly live. So to truly live means we seek to abstain from evil. And another reason we should abstain from evil is this, because of God's grace. Now hear me carefully in this. If we do not pay attention to our hearts, the very avoidance of evil could become an evil in itself. Now this, this is what I mean. Often avoiding evil can become a means of trying to earn salvation or to feed our own self-righteousness. 
So what we've done is we've taken abstaining from evil and we've made it into an evil to feed our pride and our sense of superiority. Charles Swindoll calls this piety on parade. We want people to know how good we are. We want people to know I don't smoke, drink, or chew and I don't go with girls that do. We take pride in that. How righteous I am. Such self-righteousness will choke grace out of a person's life. See, the motivation for abstaining from evil is the grace of God. It's what brings about change. A person who has been grasped by the grace of God understands what it means to live in gratitude, to put evil behind them. John Newton, the great, the great theologian and hymn writer, knew this. The song Amazing Grace came out of the Spirit moving upon John Newton. But I would remind you, John Newton was a man whose life you would not have wanted to emulate at all. He was a libertine. What that means is, to put it very frankly, he was a party animal. He joined the Navy as a young man, ran away from home, didn't like the Navy, jumped ship. Became involved on a, a, a slave trader's ship. Didn't endure himself to the captain because one night he opened up the ca cask of grog, got everybody on the ship drunk. The captain threw him overboard and had him partially harpooned to bring him back on board to be thrown in shackles in the hold of the ship. It was there he remembered the prayers of his mother. And he began remembering a book that his mother had read to him called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. He began crying out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Newton's life was transformed by the grace of God. He left those things behind. In fact, he was asked one time as his, the time of his death was nearing. He was asked, what is the greatest thing you can think of? Newton replied by saying, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. In fact, upon his tombstone in England are written these words, John Newton, a clerk, John Newton clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Grace did not free him to serve no master, but a new master. He was changed by grace. Grace works in our lives to give us a desire to please God, a desire to live to thank God, a desire to seek Him in all things. That's why gratitude for grace leads us to obey God and leaving evil behind. Now, I recognize that grace still gives us a battle. This is what I mean. We still war at times in our soul. Because we know the grace of God. We want to live for God. We read these commands and we want to obey. Yet there is still that desire within our flesh to sin. The apostle Paul put it so clearly in Romans 7. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The very things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Who can save me from this body of sin? Praise be to Christ Jesus who has set us free. So that's why we need to start asking ourselves in this battle, in this war that often rages within ourselves, how do we do this? How do we abstain from evil? First thing is we have to continually make the choice to abstain. This call is not just a, a one and done that everything is automatically over. The temptation to sin is continual. 
So our choice to abstain must be continual. This means we must be vigilant. It means we must pray. Do you make it a part of your prayers to say, Lord, help me to hate evil and to love what is good? Give me the right attitude, O oh God. You see, the truth is, we will pursue what we love. I mean, how hard is it to convince a fisherman to go fishing? Or a golfer to go play a round of golf? Or if you love eating, to go to a restaurant? Count me in. See, the things that we love to do, we pursue. So that's where we need to start by praying, Lord, work within my heart that I will hate evil and love you. And so pursue you. Let me desire that which is good rather than that which is bad. Next thing is this. This really is part of last week's message too, is to develop discernment. To know how to apply this. Remember, Hebrews 5.14 said solid food is for the mature. It's talking about growth in the Scripture, growth in grace. Solid food is for the mature. Who are the mature? For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That word trained is crucial. It means working, practicing. You've probably all heard the statement, practice makes perfect. But you know what? If you're practicing the wrong thing, you're simply making perfect the wrong thing. So that's why as we train ourselves, we want to keep coming back to the Word, coming back to the Word in community, coming back to seeking to grow, that we might have our, our sense of discernment trained and honed. See, one of the things that I really struggled with in applying this was the fact that Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. He ate with those who we would look down upon. And the people of his time said they were evil. Jesus' reputation suffered because of that. Of course, his response was, it's sick who need a doctor, not those who are well. So you see, that's where we need discernment. Because if we try to say, okay, I want to abstain from evil, so I'm going to withdraw from the world, how are we going to be witnesses? How can we share the light in the darkness? That's where we need discernment and grace. I always think of a story my mom and dad told me. In the early 50s, mid-50s, the town drunk around Athens was a man by the name of Henry Stamey. He was our Otis, uh, if you're familiar with Andy Griffith. Mom and dad said it was an incredible night at Clearwater Baptist Church when in the midst of revival, Henry Stamey came down the aisle on his crutches. He was a World War II veteran and had lost part of his leg in the war. But he came down the aisle and he was radically saved. Of course, everybody was thrilled that night, but Dad said he remembered there were some naysayers. Oh, I wonder how long it'll be before Henry's back drinking. You know how Henry is. It won't be long. Dad said he remembered about a month or two later. He got word of someone that had seen Henry hanging outside of the bootlegger's house. Alcohol was illegal in McMinn County, but there were bootleggers. They went up to Henry. Henry, what's happened? I knew it wouldn't be long till you started drinking again. How dare you? And Henry said, wait a minute. I've got a friend that went in there to buy something, and I'm waiting for him to come out so I can tell him about Jesus. Discernment. 
Discernment's not the same as being judgmental. It's praying for wisdom and how we can reach those who need the gospel without falling into sin ourselves. That's where we need the grace of God. Another thing we need to keep in mind in pursuing evil is not only making the choice continually, developing discernment, but pursuing what is God. Sorry, I left out, added a D. But that works too, I think. This isn't just the idea of leaving something behind. Nature abhors a vacuum. Okay, in other words, something will always fill a space. Clean out your garage and see what happens. When you remove something, there's always something there to fill it. So the question is, if we abstain from evil, what's going to fill that, that time? What's going to fill that thinking? That's where we need to turn to pursue good. It's what the scripture teaches. For example, Psalm 34, 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Don't just leave evil behind, but seek something good in its place. Isaiah 1, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. What's that? Abstain from evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. So what we need to do in abstaining from evil is to say, Lord, what do I need to do in its place? I want to get away from it. I need to pursue you. If anger is an issue, then Lord, I need to pursue peace. I need to pray for those whom I'm angry with. Maybe I need to send them a letter blessing them instead of cursing them. What would you have me do, Lord? So we need to turn our minds in pursuit of that which is good. So it's not just thinking about what we shouldn't do. It's thinking about what we should do. That's what the grace of God does. Frees us up to pursue Him. Now I know in thinking about this, there can be two extremes that we go to. One extreme is we really don't, we think, you know, this is for someone else. We think about others who needed to hear this message and we don't apply it to ourselves. Truth is, until the Lord Jesus comes back, we will struggle with temptation and we need to heed this command. So I ask you this morning to say, Lord, help me to love you and to hate evil. But the other extreme, the other extreme are believers. You've been battling evil. Maybe it's a temptation that is like a thorn in your side. You can't shake. And you're weary. You're tired of the battle. But I want you to know the grace of God is sufficient. He doesn't cast you aside. He doesn't say you ought to know better. He says, come unto me if you're weary, and I will give you strength. The Apostle Paul learned this with his thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. He said, I've learned that when I am weak, then I am strong. The grace of God is sufficient. Don't let your weariness pull you away from him. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me now. Just a moment after I pray, we're going to stand and begin singing. And this is a time of invitation. Our kneeling benches are open for anyone who wants to come and kneel and pray. They're available. They're here for that very purpose. 
I will be here at the front. If you'd like me to pray with you, I will be glad to. Or maybe the Lord is stirring your heart today. You've heard me mention the gospel and you're curious, curious about what it means to believe the gospel. And I would love to talk with you about that. If you come forward and your question is, how, how can I be saved? What does it mean to be saved? I'll ask you just to have a seat on the front row. And after the service is over, we'll sit down and really talk. And try, I'll try my best to answer questions. And we will pray together. But let's begin this morning just by asking the Lord to work within us that we would love Him and hate evil. Father, I thank you that you do not give us commands without supplying the strength we need to obey. Lord, this can be challenging. Because, Lord, we are prone to believe the lies. We are prone to... Father, to forget how destructive evil is. And, Father, we are prone to become desensitized to it. So, Lord, stir our hearts that we would love you and see things in the light of your truth. Give us wisdom, God, that we would apply this version of staining from evil and that we would hold fast to what is good. And we know that the ultimate good is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.